This is Live On Purpose Radio, episode 540, Story Sailing with Dave Bricker. Now is the only time to create and live the life you love. I'm Dr. Paul Jenkins, the positivity psychologist. My job is to connect you to powerful positive psychology principles that immediately upgrade your relationships, business, and mental health. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live On Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live On Purpose Radio. Joining me today is Dave Bricker. Dave has a very colorful story, and I'll let him share that in just a few minutes about, uh, I, I don't think he actually went homeless. I think he took his home <laughs> afloat, <laughs> went to see somewhere. Dave, I'm going to have you share that. But he is, he is a colleague of mine who I think has some brilliant ideas around stories and words, the power of words, and carefully selecting what those words are. Dave, welcome to Live On Purpose Radio. Dr. Paul, it's a pleasure to be here. Let's have some fun. Let's do that. Story sailing, that's your brand, but it also ties into your history. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you come from, what that's all about. Well, let's see. I was a private prep school kid. And my father was a doctor and my mother was a lawyer and I became a disappointment. No, I'm only kidding. No regrets <laughs> on any, any side. But I went to this private prep school on the water in Miami. I used to look out and see these little shanty boats out on the water. And, you know, we, we just thought, oh, look at those derelicts and bums living out there. But after my first year of college, I came back to Miami and worked on an art project. And I actually met some of those people and found that they were interesting and fascinating and brilliant. And some of them had traveled all over the world on sailboats, not because they were rich, but because they wanted to exercise the options that life gave them. And when I realized that you could have adventures without going to a movie theater or cracking open a book, I said, I want some of that. I want stories of my own. So I took that year off, spent six months of it living on a, a sailboat, went back to school, uh, graduated with degrees that don't really matter here. I minored in jazz guitar and got a degree in liberal arts. So I majored in undecided so I could finish school. Uh, and about six months after that, I, you know, during my senior year of college, I bought a sailboat for $3,000 and started fixing it up. Uh, six months after graduation, I threw my keys into Biscayne Bay and took off for the Bahamas with, I don't know, $30, $40 in my pocket and was gone for six months. I never thought of myself as homeless. I never got rained on. I never went hungry. Uh, I had wonderful people around me. It was a very rich life. I actually got tired of eating lobster. Talk about a first world problem. <laughs> and, oh, I just had great, great adventures and came back and worked for six months and took off for 14 months, jumped on a friend's boat, went to Europe. But over some time, I found those stories I was looking for. And that made my life a lot richer, but it also got me thinking about what is a story? 
Why is it that we could sit and watch Lord of the Rings for three hours? Why is it that if there's a power failure 20 minutes before the end of the movie, we all scream, we all have story trauma because the story has not finished. How many bad books and movies have you read all the way to the end? You knew on page five that this was going to be terrible, but you had to find out how it ended. What is it about stories that just captivate us and pull us forward? And that's kind of what I've dedicated my life to. It's the study of story. So that's the short version. How'd I do? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a story behind the whole story sailing brand that you have built, where, where now you coach people and you do trainings and, and you're a speaker and an author um, around storytelling and also that process of of creating and crafting the stories um i've got one of your books here in front of me the writer's guide to powerful prose and as i was thumbing through this dave i was remembering the process that i went through to create the three books that i've written so far the writer's journey what a craft it it really is and in an art form really you've perfected that I don't know. Well, no. Perfection is boring. (laughs) (laughs) But you've definitely made it a study and and part of your life's work to really look at, okay, how do we craft this story in a way that it can be compelling and engaging? And uh, that's that's part of what intrigues me, too, about your work, Dave. I've become convinced that that effective communication in the form of writing and the spoken word are two of the the best things that you can do for your personal and professional development. Storytelling is what to say and how to say it. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not just for professional speakers, though. Well, yes and no, because most people who are professional speakers have no idea. I was a college teacher for 15 years and nobody tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, Brick, you're a professional speaker. Learn the art of oratory. How many teachers did you have who were supposed to be professional speakers? They speak more than anybody else in the world. And How many people were passionate enough about their subject to get a master's degree or a PhD in it and then spent their remaining years boring students to death and convincing them that they wanted to have nothing to do with that topic? That's a tragedy. Lawyers, if you if unless you are in solitary confinement or you work in a morgue or a toll booth, you're probably a professional speaker. (laughs) And maybe even the people in the morgue and in the toll booth. Because yeah. occasionally they have to actually communicate with living people. Yeah. Hey, buddy, I'm not going to lift the gate. That's not enough money. The way you say that. Right? It's, I don't know. We're all professional speakers. You know, as you were saying that about teachers, at what point do we consider ourselves a professional speaker? And if, Well, if part of the way you make your living, your profession involves talking to other people, either to exchange information, to tell them what needs to be done clearly, or to convince them that something needs to be done. Uh, 
then you're a professional speaker. You're using your voice and your body and your face to impart ideas, information. That's professional speaking. The very few people who get up on keynote stages and walk around and wave their arms. Well, well, you and I like to do that, but we're, we're actually the kind of rare side of professional speaking. That's true. And at, at another level, even if you're not speaking verbally, you're communicating with other people. An email, for example. How many poorly written emails have we encountered in our lives? Um, How many do you throw away without even reading? Because the subject line is turning you off. Mm -hmm. So there's this whole communication field. It's fascinating to me. I had a recent opportunity to talk to um, one of our colleagues in the National Speakers Association, uh, Patty DiNucci. Mm -hmm. uh, who her new book is called more than just talk and she gets into some of the nuances in human communication and how powerful and important it is to become more aware of just how it is that we're communicating with others and that's that's coming to my mind also as i'm having this conversation with you dave um you're a coach too. You, you help people. You train people on this. Where, where do you encourage people to start if they really feel that they want to improve their communication, their storytelling skills, whatever it is? Where would you start them? Well, in terms of, well, I think the place to start is whenever you write something. Whenever you speak, whenever you create a message, too many people are data dumpers. And you may be a subject matter expert. You may really know your stuff, but start with the transformation. Start with how do I want my reader, my listener, my audience, my prospect, how do I want them to think, feel, or act different after they've heard my message? Because if you're talking about prices, processes, ingredients, and data, you're basically putting people to sleep until they ask you for that information. That's a later stage of the conversation. But if we adopt a service mindset, it's not, for, forget the transaction, that comes later. Your place or mine comes long after the first, can I buy you a drink? And yet we have so much of this tacky messaging that just like, here, buy my stuff. No, I don't know you. I don't like you. I don't trust you. You're wasting my time. And it's it's really fascinating how few people get that. So start with the transformation. Whenever you speak, whenever you write, whether it's a blog post, an email, you're writing a, a speech, what's the audience supposed to get out of it? And if you don't know that, shut your mouth and do some homework until you're ready to serve. Because otherwise, you're just adding to the clutter. Is that cynical enough for you? <laughs> you? You used a word that caught my attention, Dave. The word was transaction. Mm -hmm. And I think of a lot of the communications that are flying out there, the, the spam, if you will, the, the clogging of our inboxes and of our screens with transactions or 
or requests for transactions without any relationship in place. Mm -hmm. And that's what came to my mind when you said that. I'm not sure if that's where you were. Exactly what I meant. The transaction is a byproduct of a relationship. And when you sell and look, uh, uh, if my friends like if Brewster Kell and some of my friends are listening to this, they're laughing right now because I'm the most sales averse person probably on the planet. I've required a lot of retraining, but the reality is if you've ever asked for a raise, you're selling. If you've asked for a date, you're selling. If you've tried to put a child to bed, you're selling. We're all selling all the time. It has nothing to do with the transaction. We're selling somebody on uh, on an idea that we should be listened to. We're selling that people on the idea that um, we have benefits to offer, that, that there's... Uh, an exchange that needs to happen. And the transaction is a byproduct of that relationship. If somebody comes in and orders you to do something, they may have the authority to do that. And you may be in a position like a military situation where you have to shut your mouth and do it. But on some level, you're thinking, why did that person just come in and give an order? Why can't they just... I mean, so we don't like to be told what to do. And we don't like to be told to buy. We don't like to be sold to. Mm. But we we love to buy. We just hate to be sold to. So it's <laughs> it's fascinating, right? Build those relationships, authentic relationships. And maybe it turns out I talk to somebody and I don't have any value to offer them, depending on what they're looking for. And I'll say, you know what? Maybe another time we'll do some business, but you need to go talk to Dr. Paul. He's got what you need. No, that's okay. I don't need a commission from that. Just yeah, whatever. It's it's just that kind of thing. And that's service too. Because I've had people I've actually dissuaded from doing business uh, with me refer me to somebody who did need to work, need what I had to offer. It all comes around. Well, you you mentioned another word, and that's transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I'm balancing those two words out in my head a little bit, or, to, or playing with them, because the transaction is is actually a strategic side effect of the transformation or the relationship. I, I'm thinking of transformation in terms of a shift in someone's thinking or emotions. And that's what the stories bring out. In fact, one of my colleagues, you probably heard this, Dave, but um, one of my colleagues said, facts tell, stories sell. And and that speaks to it for me. The, the transformation is the, the shift that we're going for in the thought or the feeling. Yeah, it's interesting because if you adopt that, service mindset, if you transform the way somebody's thinking about something and you focus on that transformation, at some point they're going to say, Dr. Paul, I love this. How can I do business with you? What services do you offer? Please sell to me. (laughs) Let's have a transaction. And they'll ask you for it. And so many people like, be my BMS, BMS, buy my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. Buy my right. stuff. Buy my stuff. Do you need app development? Do you need uh, leads? Do you need? And it's just like, 
so many lookalike, soundalike offers from people with no messaging skills. And no relationship with me. Mm-hmm. I get that in my inbox all the time. Um, I was just looking at your website and I can see you could use this or that. Mm-hmm. My response? Delete. Yeah. But if it's from someone that I know, it, you were just saying a minute ago, people want to buy. They don't want to be sold. And I have found that for myself, too. I There are things that I want. There are services that I need. And where do I go for those? I turn to people that I know, like, mm-hmm. and trust. Exactly. And if they don't have it, I trust their referral, which you also referred to. Exactly. Because you've got a person, hey, could you, I mean, how many times do we do that? I need help with X, Y, Z. Is there someone you can introduce me to? Mm-hmm. And that person either says, I've been working with somebody, but I'm not really happy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that introduction. That happens all the time. Or I've got somebody wonderful. I will write you a letter of introduction right now. I do that all the time. Yes. You need a you need a great web designer. I will refer you someone I know, like and trust. And uh, other other services, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But we 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 when we find those gems, we want to share them with with people we know will also be great clients for them, because excellent work is done for excellent clients. I'm I'm feeling to ask you some things about your experience with stories and how that has changed outcomes for people. I know you and I have, have both worked with people who have some kind of important message or skill or product or whatever. And and getting it to the people who actually need it is just a story away if they could if they could couch that in a way that resonates with them, creates that emotional transformation that we're talking about. Um, What's coming to your mind as I steer it in that direction? Well, I'll give you a big example. And the story that people infer is that I have lots and lots of these big examples with Fortune 100 companies, when the reality is I have just one. But having leaked that little part, <laughs> here's, a, here's a Fortune 100 company and a big pharma company owned by J&J, Johnson & Johnson. And they had some big competitors in the marketplace. And they asked their doctors, said, we'd like to build a web portal with all of the information about the diseases we treat, all the clinical trial data, all of this information. And the doctor said, we don't need this. We, we're, we're trained doctors. We know about the pathologies and we can get all of this information on PubMed, blah, blah, blah. Well, they did it anyway. And what was interesting about it is this website was for doctors only. It had no disclaimers on it. And they disclosed all the risks, all the benefits, all the registry data, clinical trial data. I won't get more technical than that, but with with pharma, there's there's all sorts of FDA compliant language you have to use. Anyway, they submitted it and the FDA said, "Uh uh-uh, you can't publish this website because the law says you have to disclose the benefits and the risks in equal proportion. 
And we said, well, we've disclosed four times as much risk information as benefit information. Do you want us to hype the benefits or withhold the risks? And the FDA kind of said, hmm, we've never had, what do we do with this? We've never had anybody do this. Now, if you think about it, the benefits of going to school have nothing to do with the risks of driving there. They're statistically disconnected. But regardless, anyway, this changed the laws around pharmaceutical marketing law. And when they ran this by the doctors, uh, and again, this was all about getting the right treatment to the right patients only, and no, no hype, no hyperbole, just here's all the facts. 999 out of a thousand doctors said that they loved it. They had, so they, and the one doctor had a similar idea. He wanted to build his own portal. He thought we'd done it wrong, but basically we had a 100% approval rate and that website made that company $4 billion. So there is changing the story. And the story was we're being transparent we're being vulnerable. We're being truthful. None of this stuff. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And at the bottom of some assembly required batteries not included. All models are 18 years or older. You know, it's like none of this garbage at the bottom. It's like, here it is. And the doctors actually said, will you build one for our patients? And we were just stunned because doctors hate when pharmaceutical companies market to patients and the patient comes in and says, Oh, how come you're not prescribing me drug X? And the doctor then has to explain that they know how to make those decisions. And yes, they've heard of it. And it, it, it clogs up their pipeline. So we crossed the trust barrier. We did it in a very simple way by changing that benefit risk story. So storytelling can make a massive difference. And I've got plenty of small stories, but that's my big one. Mm. I'm thinking of a, a client of mine that's in the food service industry. Well, not food service, but food um, distribution. They, they're mm-hmm. a supplier to restaurants. And the sourcing story is what's really helping them connect to their clients because some of the, the suppliers for this particular food item are sourcing it in unethical, inhumane ways. And even though there's a comparable quality and price and everything else, the the story behind how they're sourcing it is what's allowing them to sell it in a more powerful way. And uh, I, I think there's just, there's a lot more attention that we could give to, to the stories and, and the meaning that that brings to it. In fact, I was just thinking, I, I think you and I may have talked about this when we were together in Florida recently, but um, there was a, you might have to to help me out with this, Dave, if you're familiar with it, but they had, somebody had acquired all of these little items, just little doodads and trinkets. And then they they had their team write stories about each of the items, and then they put them for sale up on eBay. And they they made no pretense that it was a true story. It was just mm-hmm. a story mm-hmm. that went with this little trinket or item that they bought at some secondhand store. 
or off of the internet. And and the value of those items increase. You know what I'm referring to there? It's the law of perceived value. And um, I know a wonderful guitar maker out in LA and he was trying to sell handmade custom guitars. This must've been 20 years ago. He's trying to sell handmade custom guitars for $2,500, $3,000. And he was about to go out of business. And a friend of his said, before you go out of business, double or triple your prices. And he said, I can't do that. You think I'm having trouble finding business now? He said, you're going to go out of business anyway. Might as well go out with a bang, double or even triple your prices, boost your prices. Within a year, he had a year waiting list for his instruments because he changed the story. They were wonderful, high quality instruments. But at that price, people didn't think they would be expected to pay more for a handmade instrument than what he was charging. You just you just triggered a thought for me, Dave, because either we provide people with a story or they write one of their own. Mm -hmm. People are going to write their own stories anyway. And around price, for example, they'll look at the price. And if it's not in the price range that, that, that matches the story in their own mind about what quality is, they're going to have their own stories either way. Right. Yeah. Now it, as as a psychotherapist, if you said, you know what, I'm going to charge $10 an hour, I'm going to have so much business. What would happen is, first of all, the clients you did have would be terrible clients. But anybody who seriously wanted help would think, you know, forget that. I'm looking for somebody who, who charges what they're worth. My friend Daniela Stonefield says, charge what you're worth and be worth what you charge. It's not just empty, uh, empty pricing. I mean, you have to back it up, but it's, it's really a fascinating thing, that law of perceived value. And when we, when we start competing in price, it's a race to the bottom. When we start competing in value, it's a race to the top and it's a different kind of story. And if someone says, wow, that's a lot of money. You can say, well, I understand, but people are paying it. Mm -hmm. That's all the negotiating you need to do. Another part of that story is with pricing, you can always start high and negotiate down, depending on how badly you want to work with that client and how much you feel you can help them. And there are all sorts of emotional parts of that story. But try giving somebody a low price and negotiating up. You have to be a much better salesperson than me to pull that one off. <laughs> it doesn't go that direction. No, it doesn't. So, I mean... Yeah. So the, the story, and I define sales as the process of changing the conversation from price to value. Yes. Because when the value is there, the price becomes very secondary. It's mm-hmm. almost irrelevant. I, I know I had this conversation with a, a potential client recently on a sales call. And by sales call, I mean, let's have a conversation about the value Mm -hmm. that is in this particular offer. And we got into a discussion. This is a story, by the way. We got into a discussion about investment versus expense. And that's a story shift. Mm -hmm. Because anytime you invest, you expect a return on that investment. An expense is just money that you spend. 
And changing that story makes a difference in how the value is perceived. Yeah. And if anyone listening is kind of sales averse and thinking, well, that's just manipulating people. Uh, Well, one thing, and I love Brewster Kell says this to me all the time, says charge what the money's worth to them, not what the money's worth to you. Look, I I lived on a sailboat spearfishing, so it's really easy for me. I'm not money driven. Yes. And at the same time, I can't tell you how many times I'm thinking of like, I'm going to offer this big price and they're just going to run away. But you know what? They say, sure, no problem. And then I'm thinking, wow, I should have asked for more if they just say yes on the first try, because it's, it's not for me to judge what the solution is worth to them, whether I would pay that kind of money for it or not, as long as that person feels they're getting value. And it could be, it could be somebody who's just happy to pay you whatever you want so they can remain helpless. That's their safe spot. They want everything done for them. Okay. Just so, I mean, every, every client is different. Every situation is different. But if we get locked in our, in our pricing story, we, we start competing with ourselves and we lose a lot of opportunity, including opportunity to work with those great pl- clients who might value your services more than you do. Right. That's a high class problem to have. What a great problem to have. Yeah. Well, the stories are there. Becoming more aware of them. And that's something that I've appreciated about our conversation today, Dave. It, it raises our awareness to the fact that the stories are there, not only in our own mind, but in the minds of everybody that we're interacting with. And becoming more intentional about that is a pretty good idea. And Dr. Paul, I have to interrupt you because as, as a psychotherapist, aren't you a story coach? Aren't you somebody where people come in and they're stuck in their story and you can't just say, here's how to fix your story. There's no editing because people are emotionally invested in their stories, whether that's their story of their victimhood or their story of, of whatever it might be. And you have to ask those questions and it's the same thing. If somebody sees themselves as a victim your job as a therapist is to help them change their internal conversation from price to value. Right. It's a, it's a shift in the story, mm-hmm. the story that they have about themselves or about the world that they live in. You're exactly right. Yeah. Dave, how can people connect with you? Let's say that somebody listening is thinking, yeah, I want some more of that kind of action. Where's the best place for people to connect with Dave Bricker? Storysailing.com. Story followed by sailing like sailboat. If you can't remember that, use my name, DaveBricker.com goes to the same place. I am all over. I've been posting on the internet since 1995, back when people still thought internet was a hair product. So (laughs) I am all over the place and easy to find. Well, awesome. And your contributions today are so appreciated, Dave. Thank you for having this conversation with me and for bringing this value to our our Live On Purpose audience. Dr. Paul, it's been a pleasure. Folks, you've heard it from Dave Bricker, Story Sailing. 
go out and uh, connect with him or apply what you've learned today in some useful way. It's time to live on purpose. Did you get what you came for? Give yourself the gift of taking real action on what you realized today. Please share this episode with someone you know would value it and leave us a rating too. It's time now to live on purpose.